Welcome to the Cross Loganville's podcast channel. Thanks for joining us as we continue our series on Just Like Jesus. My name is Nick. I normally play guitar up here. In fact, it's always uncomfortable to come up here without a guitar. Um, it's just different, right? I've done it a few times now, and you know, as I'm sitting there and I'm preparing and I'm thinking through, like, how are you going to start, you know, get it going and stuff, and then all of a sudden, like, a thought goes through your mind, hey, make sure your zipper's up. Okay, because that would be distracting not only for me, but also for you. Uh, and we don't, we don't want any distractions. Um, I, I want you to understand our heart here real quick. The heart of the leadership here at the Cross Loganville, the heart of every person on our staff, is we want to see each one of you living fully alive in Christ. This is our desire. Not just you, but when you bring your family, we want to see them. And we might see them once a year. We want to see them growing. If somebody comes and visits one time and goes somewhere else, we want to see them fully alive in Christ. We want to see them growing and active in their faith. So this leads me to a question because we think about how to strategically bring you in and grow you in the things that we do. But it requires this piece in the recipe that you must have the desire to grow. Because if it's not your desire, it's not going to be very lasting. And so my question is, do you want to grow? Do you really want to know the Lord in such a deep way that it infiltrates every piece of your life? I'm not talking about just stepping into salvation. I'm talking about realizing how sweet that salvation is, and so you're wanting to see the depths of it. And so you give your life to exploring it, to educating yourself on who God is and growing up in the faith. Do you want to grow? Do you want to be free? Because the other option is living in your own selfishness. And the results suck. Working for Tim Cash, there's lots of words I can use up here. I can't use in other churches. <laughs> One of the perks of the job. Okay. Um, so today we're going to talk about, we're in this series called Just Like Jesus. We're going to talk about how Jesus lived a life of surrender. He displayed surrender consistently every day. Now, this is interesting, right? When you, if you called us and said, hey, I'd like to get baptized, we would say to you, when did you surrender? Okay? Meaning, hey, when did you get saved? When did you turn to the Lord, repent of your previous ways, and say, God, I want you to be the authority over my life? Very important surrender. But when I talk about Jesus surrendering daily, Jesus was not looking for salvation. So we're going to dive into what and why was he showing this attitude and posture of surrender consistently. Okay, So to define surrender, we're going to say it's to cease resistance to or placing myself under the authority of another. To cease resistance and place myself under the authority of another. And see, so you're surrendering often 
in little ways, okay? If you get in a car with me, you surrender your safety to my driving abilities. Or if you get in the car with my 16-year-old daughter. She does it pretty good, okay? If you get in a plane, you are surrendering your safety not only to the pilot, but to the mechanics that say, hey, yeah, this is worthy, okay? If you go into surgery, you're surrendering yourself to the skills of that surgeon, hoping he knows what he's doing. This surrender requires a bunch of trust, and you hope it doesn't look like this. Have you ever worked for Dr. Francis? Oh, yeah. He's okay. Just okay? Guess who just got reinstated? Well, not officially. Nervous? Yeah. Yeah, me too. Don't worry about it. We'll figure it out. I'll see you in there. Just okay is not okay. Exactly, okay? You're placing your trust in them, right? Not much for the surgeon. He's going to try to figure it out. All the trust and surrender you're pouring out as the person on the table. So we have to build our trust in the Lord to be able to live a life of consistent surrender as Jesus did. And if this is a struggle area for you, and honestly, it probably is for most of us, I want to deepen my trust in the Lord. I would encourage you to go back a couple of weeks and watch a message Tim did on how do we trust God. Increase that trust that you're surrender, you placing your authority in the hands of the Father becomes easier and easier. So let's look at the life of Jesus and how he showed daily surrender. We'll start in, start in Philippians 2, verse 6. Who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Speaking of Jesus, saying, hey, he was God. And here's the crazy thing. He didn't decide to walk around the world as God. He decided to be fully human. And that next phrase says, Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, becoming a servant for the sake of the kingdom, serving the people around him, serving God as he is God, submitting himself to the Father. Keep this in mind. Jesus was fully human. Okay? I realized in my study, sometimes I, I put a little bit of like robotness to Jesus. I think he just knew exactly what to do and he just did that. But fully human means he experienced the same temptations, the same pain that you do, the same choices you do on whether to submit to the Father or to submit to his own selfishness. And so in chapter 8, in being found in appearance as a man, I'm sorry, verse 8, in being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. And look at that exclamation point at the end of cross. I didn't add that. That was there. Because they're trying to say something very important to you. In that time, they knew this was the worst way to go. In fact, they invented a word excruciating comes from the crucifixion to describe how bad death on a cross was. And Jesus humbled himself. And don't take the humanity out of it. This was a difficult choice, a difficult choice that Jesus makes to surrender to the authority of God, 
to move to the cross. And I'll show it to you in Matthew 26, verse 39. Jesus in Gethsemane, it says, Going a little further, he fell with his face to the ground and prayed, My father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me. God, this is going to be bad. See, he's very clear that he's about to be betrayed. He knows what was going to happen. It felt unjust. He knew the pain that was going to come. So he says, please, if there's another way, can that be? And then you see it on the screen. He says, yet not as I will, but as you will. I bow to your authority. I surrender to who you are, God. See, this is how Jesus functioned every single day. You're going to see this over and over again. Despite being God, he continually said, Father, I need your guidance. I need your comfort. I need you to show me what to do to live a life of perfect example so that people 2,000 years later will sit and see my life. So there's this scene in John 5 where we see this surrender again. Excuse me. <coughs> and uh, so Jesus comes into a, a town and he heals somebody on the Sabbath, right? Well, you're not supposed to work on the Sabbath. And so the Pharisees are like, hey, you can't do that. You're not allowed to just go around here healing people. That's working. The Sabbath, you're supposed to rest. You're supposed to do these things. And Jesus' response to them is, very truly, I tell you, the son can do nothing by himself. He can do only what he sees his father doing because whatever the father does, the son also does. I'm in full submission to him. This is not me just making decisions. And can we just consider for a second what bitterness does to you? A, a, fierce, a Pharisee watching him heal somebody, right? Somebody who couldn't walk now can walk. Somebody who couldn't see now can see. And they're like, hey, that's against the rules. How common are miracles in your life where you will instill that bitterness towards somebody? It's crazy to consider. See, walking a surrendered life, don't get me wrong, is not about standing in every moment and saying, Lord, left, left, speak to me, tell me which way to go. Right? We, we did a, we did a uh, message on the will of God, one of my favorite messages we ever prepared for, because we don't really prepare any message by ourselves. It's all of us pastors, we get in a room and we sometimes fight over stuff. It's great. And that will of God message was my favorite prep ever. It was like three weeks of us fighting stuff out. It was awesome, right? So living a surrendered life, if you listen to that message, is living surrendered to the moral will of God that he has laid out in the word. You don't have to ask him to speak some revelatory, big, booming voice. Go love people. Oh, that's what you want? You want me to love the people around me? Okay, I'll do that now. Tomorrow, tell me again, or I'll forget. You're surrendered, right? You're saying, this is the authority I walk under. This is what God values. This is what I'm going to value. And I'm not saying the Lord never says, hey, I need you to go talk to this person. Because that does happen. And that is obedience also. 
but much more greater. Every day you have a manual laid out in front of you of how the Lord says, love the people around you, and you place yourself under that authority. And those people become more important than the agendas that we have laid out for that day. So this is the crazy thing to me. Jesus, God in flesh, walking on the earth, decides, you know, it wouldn't be good for me to walk around with the authority of God. If I would just use this to my advantage, I could just command everybody around. I'm going to submit to the Father. But yet us as humans constantly try to be God. Consider it for a moment. (laughs) It's so fun to stand up here in silence for a second. Jesus said, this wouldn't be good for me to walk around and wield this authority. I'm going to submit, surrender to the authority of God. He was God. We are not, yet try to be. In Psalm 46, thousands of years ago, David writes, Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in all the earth. That be still and know that I am God is stop being God and let me be God. The struggle is not new. We try to force results. We try to make things happen in our favor. And see, here's the thing. We hear God is working out everything for the good of those who love him. And this is true. But the problem is we put expectations around what those results look like, and we're not as smart as him. And when those expectations are not met, we grow in bitterness towards the Lord. This is the same thing that happens in marriage, right? Chad and Elaine, who teach our marriage class, will tell you, if you have expectations that you've placed on your spouse that you have not vocalized, you cannot get mad at them when they don't meet them. Right? And so if the Lord is working everything out for my good and he's on my side, and he is, and I'm surrendering to him, and then these results don't come the way I want them, the house I need sold doesn't get sold, and you thought, well, surely he cares for me. These things should be done. You grow in bitterness. Surrendered to the authority means surrendered. Not surrendered, but I still get my way and everything. Right, God? And from doing ministry forever, looking for the Lord, you can't write the stories as well as he can. I promise you this. I didn't even share this in the first service, but my wife, um, her story is insane. Family full of sin, tons of craziness. But it resulted in her life, the, the, all the, the tragedy and things results in her coming to Georgia. I would have never met her. I wouldn't have my kids sitting in front of me without God writing the narrative. And so as we surrender, as we know the heart of the Father, we say, you really are for me. It doesn't make it hurt less. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is your perspective can shift, can shift, your perspective can shift. Certain words you have to articulate clearly. Okay? To where as tragedy comes, 
just your heart is different as you're in this posture of surrender before the Lord and this practiced behavior of surrender. Because living a surrendered life, Cameron told me last time I moved a little too much. I'm going to try to stop running around. Um, a surrendered life is an act of worship. Okay? As you surrender to the Lord daily, this is your greatest act of worship, and you were built to worship. And let me dare tell you, you don't have a choice, you're going to worship something. Okay? You were built for it. You were built to walk with God in the garden, to be with Him, to pour out your affection and your attention on him. And if you pour out your affection and your attention and you surrender to something unworthy of worship, you are going to be in utter confusion, panicked, full of anxiety because it's unworthy of your worship. You weren't designed to worship that. And it can be great things. It can be your kids. It can be your spouse. It can be your job. If you're pouring out those things, all of those things can be taken from you. All of those things can get jacked up. Place your worship in the right direction. Aim towards the Father. Surrender to the Father. Have this posture of surrender towards the Lord. And just consider this for a moment as surrender is an act of worship. What is this posture? As we sing, we stand like this, the international sign for, I surrender. This is touchdown. <laughs> this is surrender. So I stand before the Lord and say in worship and song, God, I, you are my authority. And see, surrender is a daily choice every day. I'm not speaking of stepping into salvation, this initial surrender, which is very important. I'm speaking of the aftermath of that surrender. That daily, we're placing ourselves under the authority of who God is and a desire to grow in freedom. So about a year ago, um, I was at this leadership conference and I heard this woman speak. Her name's Deborah Cyril. And she is famous uh, for rowing across the Atlantic Ocean. Um, she was in a race with her husband as a partner. I'm going to show you a map of how far that is. Okay? Um, this little island of Tenerife, I think that's how you say it, it's a Spanish island off the coast of Morocco. And she rode to Barbados. Okay? It was a race, a whole bunch of two-man teams. Okay? Her husband... And England was like a famous rower. He was good at his job. Um, but see, the problem was that when you row in England, you row on rivers and things like that. This, this trip, see, it's like 20 hours and 20-minute flight. Um, they figured rowing, it was going to take about six weeks. Okay? I mean, it's just you and some paddles. I mean, come on. <laughs> All right? So they get going. Husband's the expert. She's an adventurous athlete. She's like, let's go, right? What they didn't realize is her husband had this intense, paralyzing fear of open water. And so as they get going, 
he's done. He can't move. He's in bad shape. And so they have to come to rescue him. And she has to make a decision on whether to go on by herself, the inexperienced rower, or quit with him. And obviously she didn't quit, or I wouldn't be telling you the story, right? Okay. Unbelievable speaker. Um, I encourage you to do some TED Talks and things like that. And I'm going to give you one nugget of what she brought in. But I need you to understand the intensity of this whole experience, okay? This is her schedule. All right? Just picture this in your day. Row for two hours, rest for one hour. Row for two hours, rest for one hour. Maybe sleep for 20 minutes inside that hour. Row for two hours, rest for one hour. By yourself, middle of the ocean, over and over and over and over again. And what was supposed to take six weeks took 111 days. But she finished. She wanted to give up many times, as you can imagine. She has crazy pictures of huge sharks next to her, And she just thought, I'm going to be eaten by a shark. And then she jokes about that a turtle almost sank her boat because eating algae off the bottom. And when the waves would bring them up, they'd hit the top of the shell and she said, I could hear cracking and assumed it was the turtle shell. And then he'd come up and be totally fine. And you realize that's my boat. And there's nobody around. And she'd call home in the middle of this time. And she'd have terrible days where she would make it what she thought was far. Two days of just rowing hard, getting after it. And then a hurricane would come through, shove her back, eliminating three days of work. And you see, the way this boat is built, there's a little compartment that's like watertight, and the boat is built to right sides. She went through two hurricanes. And so you can hide in there, and the boat will get pushed around and all that stuff, but it'll stop, and you'll be out of the water, ready to go, figuring out where you are. So she said she'd call home, and she has a team at home, and her twin sister's like captain of that team, and her sister would say things like, you can do it. No, she would say, we can do it. She'd go, what do you mean we? <laughs> I'm out here by myself. It's just me. And I want to stop every day. But here's what she did. When you row, you face the opposite direction from what you're going. She's looking at the cabin. And on the cabin door, she has this picture. And I know you can't really read that. But it says, choose your attitude. She said, I realized very quickly that if I was depressed and I thought about how hard this was, I wasn't going to make it very far. But if every day I got there, I sat there, I looked at that, I said, choose your attitude. I'm going to be positive. I'm going to, if I was positive, maybe I'll make it farther than I even think. For 111 days saying, it's your choice. And in a world that says how you feel about it is truth, I hate to tell you, but it's not. And you can have the opportunity to choose a positive attitude inside your situations and drastically change how you approach it. It's a choice, sometimes a really hard one, but I promise you, rarely as hard as what she was doing every single day. It's a great story. You should listen to her speak about it. But I bring this up because I say surrender is a choice daily. I would write that somewhere, but I would write, choose to surrender. Because every day we need to be reminded 
it's so easy for us to get wrapped up in all the things that we're doing. So in Mark chapter 1, Jesus comes into the town where Simon Peter lives, and Simon Peter's mother-in-law is sick. Jesus heals her. Disciples are pumped. They're like, this is awesome. So they start going to get all these sick people and bringing them. Jesus is healing them. There's demon-possessed people. He's banishing these demons. I mean, he's doing some serious Jesus work. All right? Knocking it out. Right? I can just imagine those disciples being like, bringing people over, be like, this is amazing. You know? <laughs> pumped about it. Okay? So what does Jesus do the next day? He doesn't get a cup of coffee and sit around and be like, remember that guy who couldn't walk and now he can walk? I did that. He doesn't. He doesn't relive this victory. He immediately, it says, in the early morning while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went away to a secluded place and was praying. Saw all these miraculous things, and his first reaction the next day is, I need to go get with the Lord. I need to go surrender again. See, he understand that with humanity inside of him, he desperately needed the Father. So I ask you two things. If this was so vital for Jesus, God on earth, why are you not doing it if you're not? Getting alone with him in the beginning of the day that I might see what he is doing throughout the day. So vital. And are we in too much of a hurry to see what God is doing in and around us? It's fascinating to me that with all the technology that we have that makes things go faster, we are somehow busier. How does this happen? We get information way faster. We can produce things way quicker. And somehow we're busier. Shouldn't that give us more time? We must eliminate hurry. Dallas Willard says, and I know what you're thinking. You're not Rick Bloomquist. You're not allowed to quote Dallas Willard. If you don't get that joke, you don't hang around here enough. Come be here more often. Rick loves Dallas Willard. He named his son after him. Dallas Willard said this, You must ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life, for hurry is the great enemy of spiritual life in our world today. Ruthlessly. Does that sound passive to you? When he says that, do you think he's saying like, yeah, just, you know, back some stuff out of your schedule. I was talking to Tim about this, and Tim said, you know, I, when I leave, when I'm preparing for the day, if I have to go to be at the gym at 6, I'm going to give myself a 45-minute buffer just to be with the Lord, to study. I'm like, dang, that's disciplined. But it shows in the reflection of his life that he's not going to rush out the door. And, so, and, and see, in this time of year, hurry is so blatant. Had a UPS driver at our church come up to me after the service, and he's like, Man, you're speaking to me about that. I showed up, you know, you show up at work early now in this season, and I'm delivering all day long, and I get home, and I just pass out. I'm trying to see God in this. It's so difficult. So difficult, and hurry distracts us. We're also reminded of hurry um, in this season, because every year, every single year, 
the McAllister's alarm doesn't go off. And they rush to the airport for their flight to France. And they leave their eight-year-old son at home to defend the house against criminals. I say that jokingly. When I originally thought of it, I just thought it was funny. But as I've thought about it more, this is what hurry does to you. You don't see what's most important. You're hustling out the door trying to get things along. How would you see God, who is in everything but is invisible and requires your focus if you're in such a hurry? See, here's the results of a hurried life. A hurried life prevents us from knowing God. See, God is in everything, but you will not see him if you're in a hurry. You won't recognize him. You won't slow down enough to see he's in this, to have a conversation. Same UPS driver said, I'm in such a hurry. People will say, hey, can I ask you a question? And he says, and I'm polite because I don't want them to complain. But in my mind, I'm thinking, I got to get going. Hurried life decreases compassion and empathy for others. That story tells that. When I'm hurried, every person who comes up to me and they have pain, a hurried person will say, suck it up. Let's get going. Because you're slowing me down from all the things I have to do. All the things that must be done. And here's the problem with hurry and busyness. Man, we just lift it up culturally. I say this all the time. How's things going? Man, it's busy. And it is. I would love to change my lingo. I do this with my kids all the time um, when I hear them start saying things. And I, I say, let's not use that word anymore. It's probably really annoying to them. Right? Lisa and I spent a bunch of time in, uh, in Kenya feeding orphans and um, meeting starving kids who were living in the woods by themselves, like three-year-olds, and all this craziness. And my kids would go, I'm starving. I'm like, no, you're not. <laughs> and I don't say, there's some starving kid in Africa right now who would love to have this meal. I would say, you're not starving. Tell me you're hungry. But don't use that term. Because there's some kid who was just banished by some public official who's five years old, raising his three-year-old, and they're just eating dirt because they're trying to eat something. Eliminate that from your language. So in the same thing, I think, how could I eliminate just talking about how busy I am all the time? Well, I can give myself less, give myself more time to do less, to be present in people's lives. You can keep me accountable to that. If you say, how's it going? And I tell you how busy it is, you just slap me. <laughs> 47 times, I'll have it down. <laughs> See, a hurried life increases anxiety, depression, and addiction. Hurried life just makes you focus your worship on something unworthy of worship. Because you are going to worship something. And see, there's this crazy thing. Think about this for me, with me for a moment. Jesus is baptized. He's about to start his ministry. What's the first thing he does? He goes into the wilderness for 40 days alone with the Father, fasting. Jesus, God in flesh, started his ministry being alone with the Father. Now, if you're a time management expert, you might look at Jesus and go, listen, bud, you know how many people you can heal in 40 days? 
You know how many people you could tell of the love of God? Over the next 40 days, you're only going to have three years of ministry. 40 days is a decent chunk inside there. Let's get after it. Let's be productive, Jesus. Sarcasm noted, okay? Right? He saw it as so vital to him be doing ministry well. I'm going to step into this. I'm going to need the love of the Father. I'm going to be, need to be totally surrendered to what he wants to do in those moments. And a hurried life leads to a superficial, meaningless existence. Because to live with the purpose and the unique giftings that God has given you requires you to be introspective and still before him. And the problem is the hurried life tends to look at the people around them and just imitate it and never live in their unique giftings of who God has made them to be. They don't have time to consider. Slow down. This is very hard for some of us. Now, if I'm speaking to you and your plan tomorrow morning is to binge Netflix all day, it's a different issue. But for so many of us, we have so many things on the plate. We go, how, how do I even find a moment for this? How do you start your day? Jesus saw it as vitally important to surrender first thing shaped the rest of his day. Because here's the facts, and this seems overwhelming as I say it. Surrender is a minute-to-minute -minute decision, right? And we react poorly sometimes. Sometimes something will happen, and you're, you get angry, and you, and you realize that's probably not the reaction that the Lord would have. I remember one time I had a foot injury, and <laughs> Lisa... Uh, she was putting some leftovers in something, and we had just, like, thrown out a whole bunch of leftovers that we didn't get to, and she was like, I'm just going to put these in here, and I was like, why are we putting those away? We're just going to throw them away in a month, and then she goes, what? And I said, nothing. My foot hurts. I'm in a bad mood, <laughs> right? It's like I immediately, the Lord checked me and said, what are you doing? <laughs> Calm down, Right? Because of the state, I didn't walk into it in, in a, let me go love my wife and thank her for cleaning up these things. I was just irritated. And so this practice surrender daily. Daily surrender is, is digging into the gift of God that's placed in front of us. When you realize how beautiful, how bountiful the gift of salvation is, your desire is to dig into it. Our desire is to see you grow, to stir up a passion in you for growth, for knowing Jesus. So what does this look like? I'm just going to give you one small example by reading you the prayer of St. Francis. And I don't know if you know Saint, the story of St. Francis of Assisi, but he was a man born into great wealth, and because of the affection of Jesus on his life, he renounced his wealth. His parents actually took him to court because he was spending money on the poor. And he famously stripped off everything but his undergarments and says, I have nothing but the affection of the Lord. And he lived in poverty to serve the poor 
and the downtrodden and the outcast for the remainder of his life. This is his prayer. Lord, make me an instrument of your peace. Where there is hatred, let me sow love. Where there is injury, pardon. Where there is doubt, faith. Where there is despair, hope. Where there is darkness, light. And where there is sadness, joy. O divine master, grant that I may not much... I stop there. O divine master, grant that I may not so much seek to be consoled as to console. To be understood as to understand. To be loved as to love. For it is in the giving that we receive. It is in the pardoning that we are pardoned. It is in the dying that we are born to eternal life. Father, I want your heart for the people around me. Let me grow in that love. Deepen my surrender. So each of us here find ourselves in different places in our journey in seeking out the holiness of God, in seeking to understand God. The Lord can meet you right where you are. And maybe you have zero desire to live a surrendered life. I encourage you to pray, God, stir up in me a passion to live surrendered. Instill in me a desire to live a life of surrender. It is a fight. It is your choice. It is a response to the affection of God. It is your act of worship. Daily surrender. This is my prayer for you. Thank you so much for watching the message today. We hope that this message inspired you and challenged you as you watched it. Encourage you to check out our website. It's thecrossloganville.org. There's a lot of information about our church there uh, that maybe can help you answer some questions about who we are. And don't forget that on our website we have old messages and archived series, so you can spend a lot of time there learning and exploring. If you have any questions, you can contact us via the web, or you could call us at the church at 770-554-3322. Thanks again for watching.